Hello and welcome to episode 168 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, we need to thank some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Lisa E, Will Slaughter, B. Orr Houseman, Heidi Stansbury Paradin, Donna, Michelle Johnson, Heather Windsor, Diana Wasson, September Ward, Joanne Broderick McInnes, Nadine Plumtree, Jennifer N., Brendan Mooney, Danny Panny, Nicola Markland, Maria Colvin, Jamie Kilduff, Elin Elson, 3 and 13, and Sabita Zafar. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And for the first time in a long time, we have a promo this week. This week's promo is for Gem Mint Horror. Gem Mint Horror is a podcast about horror films that don't get enough praise or are lesser known in the horror genre. Gem Mint Horror hopes to find you a new favourite horror movie. Joel uploads every Friday and hopefully will find you a new favourite horror film. Please do have a listen to the trailer for Gem Mint Horror and if it sounds like something you are interested in, go and give them a listen. As always, the link to Gem Mint Horror will be in the description of this episode. Hey there guys, do you guys love horror films or want to get into them but don't know where to start? Well, look no further, for Gem Mint Horror, the podcast has your back. I'm your host, Joel Alba here, and at Gem Mint Horror, I like to talk about lesser known horror films in order to find you guys out there on your favorite horror movie. I don't discuss about the classic horror films like The Exorcist, The Rosemary's Baby, nor big budget horror films. I talk about films that I deem that are overlooked or deserve a second chance. So if you want to start creating your horror movie list for this upcoming Halloween season in October, well, come and tune in every Friday night for this late night show. Thank you guys for listening and come listen to Gem Mint Horror everywhere you can stream podcasts and back to your program. And our film review this week. Our film review is Nope. Nope was released in 2022 in a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb and 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Two siblings who run a California horse ranch discover something wonderful and sinister in the skies above, and the owner of an adjacent theme park tries to profit from the mysterious otherworldly phenomenon. I went to see this movie and I really did not know what to expect, but let me tell you, it is so original. And I think there has been a lot of divide. It seems to be very 50-50. People either love it or they really dislike it. But I don't think anyone can argue with the fact that it is such an original film. It really wasn't what I expected at all. I kind of thought it was just going to be like a straightforward alien film. I read and looked at virtually nothing about it before I went to see it aside from the trailer because I really wanted it all to be new and exciting. So let's get into the likes for this movie. Obviously I loved the fact that it was so original, wasn't expecting what happened, really kept me guessing. I absolutely loved the characters. So there's a character of OJ and his sister Emerald. Oh, they were so good. They were played so beautifully. They were such well-written characters and they contradicted each other perfectly. So Emerald is this gregarious, outgoing woman. She is really opinionated, well able to speak her mind, kind of a bit of a liability at times. And then OJ is this really stoic, still, quiet man. And I particularly liked his character, more so because a lot of the comedy in this movie came from his reactions to horrific events. 
and his reactions are genuinely funny and there are lots of bits about this film that are witty and they are engaging there's also lots of references to other movies I read somewhere that he Jordan Peele wanted it to be like a Jaws of the Sky and I can tell you that is achieved box ticked Aside from Jaws, there were also lovely references to other horror films and I feel like I need to sit down and go through a list or at least go and see the film again to truly be able to spot all those other references. It was just really clever. It was really clever and unlike anything I've seen in a really long time and it also came with this moral message and initially when I left the cinema I kind of felt like I didn't really get it. I didn't really get what the message was and then when I was thinking about it and kind of reading a bit about it afterwards, I thought, oh, oh, I get it now. You know, I get it. And I really had to go away and properly think about it, though. There is very little I can say about this film because I don't want to give anything away. And if I start talking about like the moral message or different facets of the storyline, it will give bits away for you. Uh, but in terms of dislikes, I, I, I felt like the pace was a bit off at times. There were definite moments where I was a bit like, oh, come on, I need you to hurry up. I need the action to hurry up a bit. I need to find out what's happening and I need everything to move a little bit quicker. And I really wasn't sure if all of the threads of the story really came together seamlessly at times. And like I said, I still feel like I didn't really understand certain images within the film. There were bits that I just didn't get. There was a a visual image throughout the story of a shoe balanced kind of precariously on its heel. And I didn't really get it. I didn't get the significance of it. And then I read some Reddit threads and I thought, oh, actually, that kind of makes sense. But I still didn't really find a satisfactory answer. And literally, as I'm sitting here recording this, I think I've just gotten it. I think I've just had an epiphany. But have I had an epiphany or am I just uh, applying a meaning to something that maybe necessarily does it need to be thought about that deeply? I don't know. I really don't know if I fully understood certain aspects of the film. And I was going to give it three stars. So my initial feeling when I left the cinema was, this is a three star film. But to be honest, I haven't stopped thinking about it since. Genuinely haven't stopped thinking about it since. I went to see it on Sunday and it is now Thursday and I'm still thinking about it. And I don't feel like I fully appreciate everything there is to appreciate about the film. It is the first time in a long time that I've gone to see something and that I felt like I really want to go and watch that again in the cinema. And I actually think I might go and watch it again. I want to go and rewatch for the Easter eggs and I want to go and rewatch from a different frame of mind, from a different perspective and see, is that the meaning that I want to take away from this movie? This is a very sort of ambiguous film review, but I'm actually, I'm going to give it four stars. So that's four stars for Nope. And what I would like to say about this film is that I was totally blown away by the supernatural element of the story. It was not remotely what I expected, either intellectually or physically. And they have done well to create a compelling trailer without revealing any of that, for sure. So I'm really interested to see what people have to say about it. I've already posted the picture on Instagram and on Facebook, and I can already see a divide among people about what people thought about it. So I think it's going to be one that's going to create a bit of division. Which brings us to our story this week. Now this week I was approached by No Brow Publishing and they said, 
hey, we've got a new book coming out. Could you do some reviews? Could you do some TikToks or some Instagram reels or whatever? And look, you all know I love a good book. So I said, send it over to me. And if there's any stories in it that I can use as inspiration for an episode, then I'll do that and I'll give the book a shout out. So please know if you're listening to this, I'm not getting paid for this. So they are not paying me a cent, but I did get a free book. So it's a win-win for me. I generally don't do sponsored episodes, but I do have like a bit of a soft spot for trying to promote good books, particularly when they're books about the supernatural or books about ghosts. So the book that I was sent is called An Illustrated History of Ghosts and it is by Adam Allsuch Boardman. I'll give a little bit more info about it at the end. But in this book, there was a short story, literally a little paragraph that I had never heard of before and it piqued my interest. And it also takes us to a place that we've never been before. So let's get into it. Thailand is a country in Southeast Asia with a population of 70 million. When I was researching for this story, there were a lot of generalized claims about how Thailand was a superstitious country and everyone believes in ghosts. Generally, I am reticent to make claims such as these without having visited a country, but it does seem that the supernatural plays at least an important role in the day-to-day life in Thailand. What really cemented this for me was not the monsters and ghosts of folklore which we'll hear more of later, but rather the existence of spirit houses, which play a part in our main story. Spirit houses were mentioned in lots of the articles and stories that I read, but I had no idea what a spirit house was or what that really meant. It's important to note at this point that not all houses or businesses will have a spirit house and not all people in Thailand practice spirit worship but it remains widely popular today and is definitely worth a mention. About 95% of the population of Thailand are Buddhist, but the spirit house rituals have remained popular and are believed to be derived from a mixture of ancient animistic beliefs and Brahmanism. Spirit houses are small models of houses or buildings that are set up outside of all types of buildings and residences all around Thailand. These mini-buildings are shrines to the guardian spirits. Guardian spirits are believed to be everywhere and they protect different places and look after the people of Thailand. These miniature shrines are placed on pedestals and are designed to shelter the spirits that own the land at the location of the homes and businesses. The hope is that appeasing the spirits will allow for happiness, prosperity and a peaceful life. It is believed that if the proper rituals are not respected, It is showing the spirits of the land disrespect and the perpetrator will face misfortune. The mini structures vary in style and can range from ornate temple-like structures to simple wood huts. They often have tiny figurines inside to depict people and animals and there are strict rules about how and where the structure should be erected. The spirits have to be asked for permission before a spirit house can be erected and Brahmin priests or Buddhist monks need to be consulted. Interestingly, it doesn't really matter what the spirit house looks like or how opulent or elaborate it is. What matters is how the spirits are honoured by the living. Offerings of food, incense, flowers and amulets are put into the spirit houses with the belief that if you look after the spirits, they will look after you. What I've presented to you is a simplified explanation of spirit houses and there are many different important rituals that encompass the spirit houses. The number of legs a pedestal has is significant. The colour of the house 
is often based on astrological factors and the figurines inside are important too. There is a real beauty in these rituals. A recognition that the land doesn't belong to you and a respect of ancient traditions. It is a beautiful mix of Buddhism and mysticism and gives us a context for our main story later. Before we get there, however, I want to explore some of the more gruesome folkloric creatures that have scared generations of children in Thailand. Krasu was once a beautiful woman who was burned to death. There are variations of the story, but the most prolific legend is that she was a noblewoman whose people were defeated in battle. After the defeat, she was promised in marriage to an enemy nobleman, but she had already fallen in love with a soldier, a man who was younger than her and lower in status. They were found together in a lover's embrace and she was sentenced to death for her misconduct. A powerful sorceress cast a spell in order to protect her from the burning, but the spell took effect too late, and as a result Krasu was burnt alive and only her head and some entrails remained unscathed. Krasu is cursed to be forever hungry, and sets off each night in search of blood and flesh to gorge on. By day, Krasu lives as a full-bodied person in disguise, but by night, her head detaches from her body and she appears as a glowing, floating head with entrails trailing behind her, generally her esophagus, her heart and her intestines. She emits a glow and will consume stray animals if she can't find a pregnant woman or a newborn baby to feast on. She will wipe her mouth on clothes or material left hanging outside overnight, which is why it is important to leave nothing outside at night time. Krahang is a spirit that is said to occupy the same space as Krasu. Krahang is a male spirit who spends his days masquerading as an average villager, but at night time he transforms into a creature who gains the ability to fly by attaching rice baskets to its arms as wings. It is a creature that is said to be responsible for attacks on women. And, if a floating head with added entrails wasn't strange enough for you, then let me introduce you to Fi Kong Khoi. Phi Kong Khoi is a one-legged creature that springs through the countryside making a noise that sounds like Kong Khoi, hence the name. It lives in the forest and gets its sustenance by sucking blood from the toes of sleeping campers. Some say that instead of a mouth it has a long tube-like proboscis, like a fly, that it uses to suck blood. Campers are advised to ensure that they cross their legs and cover their feet while they sleep to avoid becoming the next unsuspecting victim of Fi King Khoi. And while these particular tales of ghouls that roam the land may be on the more outlandish end of the paranormal spectrum, there are entities that exist within this folklore that have very real-world consequences. The Fi Pop comes in various forms based on which legend you prescribe to, but the outcome is always the same. It is a creature that roams the countryside, searching for victims to possess, and once possessed, the fee pop eats the victim from the inside out, specifically the intestines. Those who are possessed by the fee pop have to undergo an exorcism, which takes the form of a whirlwind dance in order to be free of the entity. In some stories, the fee pop is a female ogre, while in other stories, the fee pop is the ancient spirit of a servant who tried to usurp a prince by using magic to enter his body. 
Interestingly, in some parts of rural Laos and Thailand, there are people who still believe that the FIPOP is responsible if their livestock suffer an untimely or violent death. The Phi Thai Hong is considered one of the most dangerous entities in Thailand. These are said to be the ghosts of those who have suffered a violent or sudden death. The Phi Thai Hong are characterised by their rage, angry at their life being cut short. The most feared of all are those who died while pregnant, with the belief being that two souls are more powerful than one. These entities are often blamed for haunted houses and are considered to be particularly difficult to get rid of. And then finally, there are the Pret. The Pret are said to be as tall as a palm tree, with long, thin limbs and a distended belly. Their skin appears mummified and they have long, thin necks. Most often they are depicted as having tiny pinhole mouths, and as a result, they walk the land permanently ravenous. They are the spirits of people who succumbed to greed and gossip in their lives. The Pret are found in many different cultures and there are hungry ghost festivals that commemorate them. But what about the story that brought us to Thailand in the first place? If you flew into Bangkok today, you would fly to Suwon Lapum Airport. And this is where our story comes from. In 1973, it was recognised that a new airport was needed in Bangkok, and there was land 25 miles east of the city that would be absolutely perfect. 8,000 acres of land were purchased in an area that was ominously known as Cobra Swamp. Building an airport on a swamp was not straightforward and the whole area had to be drained before the building could commence. People were already raising concerns about building an airport on Cobra Swamp. The land was said to have been used as a burial ground in ancient times and the local people were nervous about the destruction of this sacred ground and what it would cause. They didn't have to wait for very long to find out. Initially, the construction went smoothly but there began to be a murmuring among the workers that something was very wrong. They had heard the stories about the airport being built over an old cemetery and Manny didn't believe that this would really cause a problem until it began to cause problems. The first indication that something was wrong was the whispering. Because of the noise of the construction, it was initially difficult to quite catch the whispering voices when they began, but more and more, the workers began to capture flashes of whispers between the noise of their tools. It was commonplace to see a worker pause to take a break and look around confused, as though trying to find the source of a sound. As with most situations like this, individual workers didn't realise that other workers were having similar experiences. They thought the whispers were in their imagination, a ringing in their ears from the noise of the construction but as time went on, they began to realise that the whispers were voices. They were people. And though they couldn't quite make out the words that were being said, the voices permeated the sporadic moments of silence that descended upon the site. When workers eventually began to talk about it, they realised that it was happening to almost everyone. And with the whispers came shouts. 
Workers heard their names being called and heard the sounds of people shouting out in distress or pain. The sounds of chanting were heard echoing around the site and try as they might, no one could figure out where the sounds were coming from. The workers began to get edgy, feeling anxious at the frequency and mystery of the sounds combined with the location that they were being made to build upon. As the building continued, so too did the noises until the spirits began to show themselves to the workers. They would see shadows peeping around corners and passing through the sites. And when accidents began to happen, the workers began to panic. There is mention of several freak accidents that happened on site, some of which caused fatalities, but there is little to explain what these accidents actually were. The rumours about the hauntings continued, and it was decided that in order to appease the spirits and to ease the worries of the workers, a ceremony must be performed. Officials brought in 99 Buddhist monks to perform rituals for nine weeks in order to appease the ghosts of the airport in time for the opening ceremony. Airports of Thailand Public Company, or the AOT, invited the monks to pray in eight different areas of the airport. The focus of the prayers was to ensure the prosperity of Suwanapum Airport, but also to appease the souls of those who were now in a state of unrest. 350 people were invited to attend the event, and while the monks were praying, there were a large number of participants sitting quietly and listening to the chanting of the monks. In attendance was a Mr. Quan Chai Tapto, who was employed to search for explosives in the airport. As the chanting continued, Tapto's face began to visibly distort, and he lurched forward towards the monks. Mingled with the sound of the chanting came the cries from Tapto as he began to wail in an inhuman voice. The crowd began to grow uneasy at the sight and Tapto fell to his knees, somehow hunching himself over to resemble an old man. He cried out that his spirit was not being respected. He was the spirit of Pu Ming and he deserved respect. He demanded a shrine be set up for him and that offerings of betel nut needed to be made. Betel nut is a type of chewing gum that is found in Thailand and used for offerings in spirit houses. He continued by stating that he and the spirits of the airport would cause great distress and turmoil if they were not respected. One of the monks approached Tapto and spoke with him, at which point Tapto continued to wail and moan, still somehow resembling an old man. The monk assured him that he would be respected and that a spirit house would be built for him. And with that, Tapto collapsed and when he came to, he had no recollection of what happened. The president of the AOT refused to confirm that the event had happened, but it was witnessed by all of the people who attended the event, all of whom seemed to confirm that Tapto was fine and seemed to suddenly become a different person. His voice changed and he sounded like an old man. He seemed unable to see and his body contorted as though he had aged 40 years in an instant. After the incident, officials set up six shrines throughout the airport to appease the spirits, and it was agreed that regardless of a person's personal belief about the incident, it was important to be respectful of the culture and traditions of the Thai people. However, 
the shrines just simply weren't enough and the issues in the airport began on opening day and persist to this day. The spirit of Pu Ming continues to be seen, but now manifests as an old man who appears in front of workers and travellers. It was late at night when I saw him, says Prathit Wanmunda, a guard. He had an aura around his head and walked with a stick. I called out to him, but then he was gone. I was so scared that I forgot to ask him for next week's winning lottery numbers. Workers have apparently developed a ritual of asking Pooming for the winning lottery numbers in the hope that he will bestow good fortune upon them. There is a lady in white who is said to appear in front of cars with the intention of making them veer off their path in order to cause accidents. After the airport opened on day one, two workers mysteriously died after separately wrapping their cars around lampposts. Squadron leader Punapong, a former commando who was in charge of over 1,000 airport staff, almost died in a car accident when a woman in traditional dress stepped out in front of his car holding a baby. He swerved to avoid her and she disappeared into thin air. The airport is also the subject of a spooky chain email that does the rounds every so often, which centres around a story that a female worker was murdered and her body entombed in a cement pillar, which is in the middle of a baggage storage room. This chain email became so popular that it prompted a journalistic investigation and it turned out the pillar existed. It seemed to have an altar set up in front of it and there was a section of the cement pillar that seemed to have been added later adding fuel to the rumours that a body resided in the pillar which was later removed. When interviewed, the manager of the luggage room confirmed that he too had heard the story, but he had heard that a Burmese worker had tumbled into the cast of the pillar during construction and no one had noticed, and cement was poured in on top of her, burying her alive. Workers have reported hearing phantom footsteps, wails and moans, and traditional Thai music is often heard throughout the airport. And that's not all. In 2013, an airplane skidded off the runway during a landing and crashed. The scenes described on the plane sound nothing short of chaotic. The turbulence followed by the realisation that the plane was veering wildly off the runway caused the passengers to panic. There were reports of screaming and praying while people worried that the end was nigh. There were also reports, however, of an air hostess that calmly swept up and down the aisle steady on her feet and offered comfort to those in the most distress. She was placid and calm and dressed in traditional dress. It later transpired that there was no air hostess on board that fit her description and to this day, there is no explanation for what the passengers saw that day. Who was the benevolent spirit that helped them in their time of need? The stories from Suwanapum continue to this day. Regular prayer sessions are held at the airport's shrines to try and keep the spirits calm and happy. Group sessions are led by various airlines and airport authorities. People also frequently leave offerings at the shrines. Despite the stories offered today, Suwanapum is a bustling, high-paced airport that operates as a gateway to places all over the world. There will be stories you have heard in this episode today that you may not believe, but the advice from all of the Thai websites that I encountered in the research was this. 
Choose not to believe it if you wish. But it is in your best interest to respect it. And don't go looking for it. I absolutely loved researching for this episode. I had never heard of Suwanapum ghost stories. I didn't know anything about it. And I really knew so little about Thailand and its supernatural culture. Um, And I guess it's just important to say that I'm never going to be able to fit everything into one single episode. And it does end up being an oversimplification of everything about the culture, right? So just, I am very much aware of that. And also, as always, if I get the pronunciation wrong, I am really sorry. I do try my best to like look up pronunciation, to try and get it right throughout the episode. And then I write things down phonetically. And then I forget where the emphasis is meant to go on the words. So if I got it wrong, I'm very sorry. I also probably should point out that when I was researching for this episode, I was linked to loads of episodes that were in Thai. So I ended up having to do a Google Translate job and then try and pick the stories from there, if that makes sense. All of the links to everything are in the description. And I would highly, highly, highly recommend if you get the chance, if you're at a loose end, to read some of the stories about like the folklore, the supernatural entities, the stories of Suwanapum. Like, honestly, read them. They're so interesting. And some of the folkloric monsters are absolutely outrageous. And some of the ones like the ones that I read are kind of more interesting. Some have like an actual impact on on day-to-day life and some don't and some are still kind of believed in in rural areas. Really, it is interesting and definitely worth a look. And I just wanted to make a point as well that um, Suwanapum Airport is unfortunately also very famous for a high number of suicides. The suicide rate is reported to be like abnormally high. Now, I couldn't find kind of the suicide rate there comparable to any other airports. I don't know what that number would actually be, but it was high enough that the AOT invested the equivalent of almost 900,000 US dollars in order to add protective glass around high terminals to try and stop this from happening. There is obviously, like with any ghost story, a belief that this is caused by bad spirits and While I respect that belief, it is not something that I wish to perpetrate as a supernatural phenomenon rather than just a terribly sad human one. It's kind of one of the reasons why I don't talk about the suicide forest in Japan. Like people are always asking me to do an episode on it and I just won't do it because it's just incredibly sad. And actually, it probably is more than likely due to the fact that there are high buildings or or there were at least high buildings that you could access easily and also with places like for example the suicide forest in Japan when people start reading news stories about it then it becomes a an almost like a beacon as a place that you can go to take your own life which is incredibly sad and I just wanted to give people a warning that if you are going to look up about this airport a lot of the stories are about the high number of suicides and some of those stories have like images and videos to go with them and yeah so it's not pleasant and I didn't want to perpetrate it as like a ghostly part of the story but I do think it's important to mention. So to kind of go back to the really distinctive old folklore first of all I absolutely love the idea of these spirit houses. It was so fascinating to read about them and I couldn't possibly put in like all of the ritual details about spirit houses and and the the 
kind of rules that you have to follow when you're putting one up what was really cool was that if you are looking for like a particular good prosperity apparently you add more figurines to the spirit houses so people will have like figurines of servants that they add to the spirit houses figurines of animals that like are supposed to be kind of reminiscent of animal sacrifice and they add these to the spirit houses in order to appease the spirits around the time of like looking for good prosperity or needing good luck in their life and people put really specific things in their shrines in order to try and make offerings to spirits so for example I mentioned betel nut which what I read about was that it was this sort of like a chewing gum type substance like a natural vegetarian chewing gum type substance that people used to chew and then spit on the ground and then kind of later that was deemed to be unhygienic so that it kind of went out of fashion a little bit but it's still widely used as like an offering to the spirits and you can get it in like spirit shops because there are like factories that build spirit houses now etc etc so you, that's why you get betel nut the other really interesting thing is that fanta strawberry is a really common offering to the spirits. The reason why is because back in the day, people used to offer animal sacrifices and blood sacrifices to the spirits. And obviously that's gone out of fashion over time. And now instead of offering blood, people will offer bowls of Fanta strawberry because it looks like blood. And I thought that is just such a clash of like the modern world and the ancient world. Like Fanta strawberry is <laughs> such a modern thing. And I know they could be using any red liquid, any red substance. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be Fanta strawberry. But apparently Fanta strawberry is very widely used. My sister-in-law is currently living in Thailand with her family. So I'm going to message her and ask her to send me some pictures of spirit houses as she sees them. And if she sees them around the place. Because presumably they seem to be on like pretty much every street corner. That they're everywhere outside businesses outside government buildings outside homes so they seem to be kind of a really really common thing outside houses and like I said I'm not saying that every single person prescribes to these beliefs or anything like that but I just found it so fascinating and when you see the pictures of them they are absolutely beautiful I would highly recommend that you look up to see what they look like and have a look at them and maybe I'm really naive that I didn't know this was a thing but now that I know that it's a thing, I am fascinated by it. And the other thing that I was fascinated by was how much of these folkloric creatures were centered around being really hungry and blood violence. So those were the two things that really stood out to me. So in the case of, for example, Krasu, who is this floating head who floats around and trails her heart her intestines and her esophagus behind her so in her case she's described as being ravenous and she's traveling around looking for things to eat and then Krahang is obviously the the entity who attacks women and then there's the Fee Konkoi who sucks the blood from campers there's Fee Pop which I said you know is still blamed to this day in parts of rural Laos and Thailand for the deaths of animals and it kind of it varies but it seems almost to be like maybe a zombie type creature 
And then the Pret, which kind of seemed to exist in lots of different cultures, not just in Thailand. The Pret or the Pret, they're called different things in different places. They're obviously characterized by just being ravenously hungry all of the time and never being able to feel full or satisfied. It just struck me that they were all, not all of them, but a lot of them were kind of characterized by eating flesh and being ravenous. They are just so symbolic of human suffering. And so many of them carry like a moral tale about how they ended up being this entity, whether it's like, don't try and get above your station or don't be greedy when you're alive because it'll cost you in the long run. And there are lots of like lists on the internet of here are the 13 freakiest monsters from folklore in Thailand and they're all linked in the description. Do have a read. They are fascinating. There was one in particular that was very disturbing and I'm just going to give a trigger warning for about a minute or so that I'm going to be talking about stillborn babies. So just as an FYI, there was this really ancient tradition where stillborn fetuses were taken they were prepared in various ways and they were covered in gold foil and placed by a shrine and then this was said to summon a being that would do their master's bidding and you kept it happy by placing food and toys near to the fetus right so that was a that was a a kind of an ancient tradition and then if you didn't keep it happy or entertained then the master would suffer the consequences of like poltergeist behavior such as like things being moved around, door slamming and the sound of ghost children laughing. So today, and you know, for quite a considerable amount of time, the the tradition was replaced with dolls. However, I came across a story where in 2012, a British businessman was found with six fetuses covered in gold in Bangkok airport, which is the airport that we talked about in this episode. And the police in Thailand obviously concluded that it was for black magic purposes and I thought there's no way that happened then I looked it up and it absolutely did happen it was a very very real news story that involved obviously the British embassy and the consulate and involved the the Thai authorities and I don't know what happened I don't know what the outcome of it was I mean he was the the businessman was obviously facing jail time for it and he was fined um, a, a, an amount of money. I think it was ended up being something like £50. And I have a great respect for traditions past, particularly traditions around death. Um, I think all over the world, people deal with death very differently and have done for countless years. And there's lots of things about the way maybe Irish people deal with death that I think is quite shocking to some people. And lots of things about other cultures and how they deal with death that is quite shocking because we haven't lived it and we don't understand it. So I can understand that, you know, hundreds of years ago, there was a ritual that surrounded stillborn babies. But to subsequently see that translating into the modern world was really quite shocking. And don't get me wrong, I'm not naive to the different things that happen all over the world. But I didn't believe it until I read the newspaper story. And to wrap it up, I just thought the airport was such a cool story. And there's lots of official people who have come out and said that they have had experiences. And by official people, I mean like the guards that work in the airport, different members of staff, 
There was obviously the commander who oversaw a thousand members of staff in the airport. They've come out and said, yeah, weird things have happened in the airport. We have had these experiences. And I guess in some ways it is a lesson in respecting the land that you build on. I was reading a, well, a translated version of an article about the history of the land that the airport was built on. And there were some people who said that the land was the burial ground for some royalty. And then there were other local people who said that basically Cobra Swamp was unsurprisingly full of cobras. And those cobras, a lot of them were killed in order to make way for the construction And the locals believed that the complete disrespect for the natural wildlife of the land riled up the land spirits and therefore the airport was always going to be cursed. And airports are such interesting places anyway, like there's such, they're sort of like a liminal space, you know, where you are only there to get somewhere else. And I think they're places of really high emotion, like as somebody who spends a lot of time in airports, and I spend a lot of time in airports, You see kind of the best and worst of people a lot in airports. I was in the airport recently. I was in Gatwick arrivals waiting for somebody and I was watching people coming through the gate and this young girl, like she must have been kind of early 20s, walked through the gate and the minute she saw her mother, she burst into tears and I kind of was like, oh, that's nice. And then I was like, oh, no, it's not nice because obviously something painful had happened And I, you know, to that girl or to that family or whatever. And you could see the pain in both her mother and in her. And I was sitting watching them and I was thinking, wow, like so many of those encounters take place in airports. So many of them or people that are running from something or people that are desperate to get somewhere. So they're funny little emotional places anyway, even though they're they're often quite industrial and feel quite cold. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in airports. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, so all of this came from reading a little paragraph of an illustrated history of ghosts by Adam Allsuch Boardman. So they sent me the book, asked me to review it. I was like, hey, I can do one better. And I have to say, right, it is a great coffee table book and it tracks the history of ghosts and ghost sightings all the way from like pre-modern times to the modern day and it covers things from all over the world from like ancient ideas about the afterlife to stories of doppelgangers from the 20th century and right up to ghost hunting tv shows of the modern day it's really lovely it has great illustrations it's really colorful each story is kind of broken down into like a little overview of the story and honestly like I found it a great jumping point for this episode because like I said I had no idea about this airport or the history behind it or the fact that it was supposed to be really haunted so I think if you're somebody who loves the paranormal or there's somebody in your life who loves the paranormal and you're looking for a good gift for them this would probably be it and I know I sound like I'm being paid to say all this I promise you I've not been paid to say any of this because I'm an idiot Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to know anything about the Real Life Ghost Stories podcast, you can do so by checking out reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can also sign up to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content and also every single episode, main and mini episode, completely ad-free. Don't forget, if you feel so inclined, to fling Real Life Ghost Stories a vote in the Irish Podcast Awards, the Listener's Choice Award. It would make my life if I was shortlisted for an Irish Podcast Award. That would make me very happy. Okay, thank you so much, and I will see you next time. Bye! Bye!